delve into the mysteries of ancient wisdom, explore the healing capabilities of energy medicine, and bridge the gap between the seen and the unseen. Tune in for stimulating conversations steeped in boundless curiosity and divine wonder. Airs the first Thursday of the month at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and 8 p.m. Atlantic Standard Time. Hello, everybody. This is Mildred Lynn McDonald, and I'm your host for Two Owls Having a Hoot. Thank you so much for joining us today. In a few minutes, we'll be joined by my wise and knowledgeable co-host from Cape Breton Island, Nova Scotia, and internet radio host, tarot reader, and ritualist, High C. Lutimers from Menlo Park, California. In this episode, we'll be picking up where we left off last month and continue our healing conversation about self-trust. If you've missed part one, please check out Healing Conversations with Mildred Lynn and click on Two Owls Having a Hoot. Last month, Madonna and I talked about the impact of not trusting yourself. And we also talked about the discouraging pattern of continually breaking promises again and again and again to you. We talked about the benefits of making the choice to trust yourself And then we explored ways of finding the courage to do just that. On a comical note, at the end of the show, we realized that our conversation was not complete. And we needed guidance on how to create a structure or a ritual that would help us build self-trust each and every day. And as you might have guessed, this is where High C. Luttimers comes into the picture. So with great pleasure and anticipation, let's welcome Madonna and High C to the table. Mildred, hi, how are you today? Pretty good, Madonna. How's the weather in Cape Breton? The weather is lovely. Yeah. Lots of snow, but oh. sunny day. It's excellent, beautiful. excellent. And what about you, High C? Are you there? I am here. Hello, hello. And can I ask you about the weather? Oh, yes. We've been having a week of rain here in California, which is nothing but glorious because we've needed it so badly that it's almost unusual to be seeing it for so long. I see you have clients and they come to you for guidance and insight and shifting their perspective and changing their life lens. Have you had much experience dealing with people who don't trust themselves? Well, I would probably say that that's one of the basic reasons why a majority of the people actually come for a reading of any sort, whether with me or any other types of reading. What I will generally say to people and what they will often say after a reading has finished is, you know, I actually knew that already. And I will tell them, well, a reading generally will validate what we already know. And so I think that the majority of people tend to come to a reading because we're almost conditioned to not trust our own intuition. We need that outside validation, that outside support in order for us to suddenly go, oh, you know, I did already know that. I just needed somebody else to tell me that what I knew was okay or that I could believe what I already knew inside of myself. So that's what I would say to that question is that I think the majority of people that come actually are coming at kind of a root level because there's a lack of trust in what their own heart, their own intuition, their own inner voice, whatever you want to give it as a name, is actually telling them that they are probably more afraid or reticent to listen to. And then they just think that, well, maybe I'm just 
hoping for that rather than that's what's really the case. I see. Do you find that they're ready to trust themselves? Or when you talk about they're not trusting themselves, that's kind of an area that they're not comfortable with. Where do you usually get them? I would say that they're ready to trust themselves. And that's probably what the impetus is for people to decide to come and get a reading. They're at that point of saying, I know there's something that I need to be doing, or I know there's something that I already know is right. I just need something outside of myself to validate that so I can now go ahead and trust what I'm hearing or getting from my own intuition or, or, or gut instinct, and then move forward with that. You know, even when it's what might be perceived as bad news, like if somebody asks about a relationship and the reading indicates that there seem to be some very serious issues and it probably is not a relationship that is able to move forward or it's time for this marriage to start thinking about coming to an end, as upsetting as that may be, 99% of the time, the person will say, yeah, I knew that that's probably what it was going to say. Or, oh, I was afraid that was going to be the case. Not because they were afraid that's what they were going to hear and they thought everything was perfectly fine. Just that they were afraid that, yeah, what I already knew just got validated. And so now it's time for me to accept that and act on that. So I would say that the reason why most people come to a reading is because they are ready to, in a sense, even without maybe consciously being able to say it in these words, they are ready to start trusting themselves or trusting what their own intuition or inner voice or guidance is telling them. They just need that little bitty push to say, yes, give yourself permission to listen, to trust, and to act. So, hi, C. would it be fair to say that the ritual of the readings, whether it's the tarot or something like that, that does give a reading, does that ritual itself, the process of the reading, help that client over time, over a continuum, develop greater trust in what they're experiencing? I would say yes. I would say this is one of those instances where the ritual is in some ways more incumbent on the provider of the service because there the ritual is whatever the reader or whoever the person is going to, whatever it is that they do to set a space, to hold a space, and to create a space where the person can feel as comfortable, safe, open, receptive, and then able to and willing to come back to themselves. And so that the ritual that the reader employs, and, you know, that can be very, very personalized. There's no like set way to do it. It's just that the ritual of doing that, of making the appointment, of coming into the space, and then what the reader does to set the space to engage the conversation, to bring the information through, I think is very integral to supporting and stimulating the person's willingness to then tap into trusting themselves, not putting the trust in the reader, in the cards or the astrology or the tool, whatever it is. But really, it's that ritual that brings the person back to their own center so they can say, it's okay for me to give myself permission to actually trust and listen to myself.
I see, I know when I decided, when I made the choice to trust myself, I shifted inside. My whole structure of my world didn't. And what I found is that I started to seek out ways and people that could help me develop a discipline or, as I alluded to before, a structure that would support listening to that inner voice. And that took me a while. So what I'd love to ask you, and I'm sure listeners out there would love to hear too, let's say someone comes for reading, you go through the ritual of the reading, you're on the same page, self-trust is number one on the agenda, they leave. How do they, in your opinion, cultivate or nourish that new little bud of self-trust that's starting to blossom? Well, that's really the importance of ritual, because ritual implies something that we do on a regular, ongoing basis in order to stimulate initially and then maintain and cultivate a certain energy, a certain intention, a certain focus. On the one hand, somebody may do that, like one of the things that I offer is tarot coaching, where we might set up a schedule for someone where they come, say, once a month, once a quarter, or maybe we do it on every new moon, which would really be once a month, or we do it according to the cycle of the year where there are particular points during the year that are kind of significant that we can use energetically. So doing that by having kind of set up a schedule and then having action items and a way to check in, a way to assess what progress have we made, a way to see what the next steps are, and then where we're at from the previous steps. That all is very much a sort of ritual, because ritual creates kind of a framework or a structure for us to be working within and then cultivating and stimulating that energy within. Now, when they leave, if they're doing things on their own, it's about coming up with things and ways that they can do. Really, ritual helps to bring us back into that center place, just like a regular meditation practice is a ritual. And the reason we would do that is because when we meditate, it helps to calm the mind and bring us back into a focused, centered place. So doing that on a regular basis is going to help us to maintain being in that space and give us a tool that we can use to come back to that focused and centered place whenever we feel something has somehow taken us out of it. There's different tools and things you can use. It can be simple things like candles or a stone, a crystal, or particular words that you say, mantras, etc. So all of those things can be utilized. The important part is that when they leave, if you have the commitment and the discipline to implementing what it is that we might come up with and then sticking with it and continuing to do it on a regular ongoing basis, that's how you're going to see the real benefit and the real effect from it. It isn't just a one-off thing. It could be a short period thing because it may just be a ritual designed specifically around a particular goal that may be happening within a particular time period or we only do it until that goal has manifested. But it still is the idea that we would be doing something on an ongoing basis until that particular point if it's not something that is more broad for ourselves that we would just be doing on an ongoing basis in general. Did that answer the question? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Beautifully. And I'm sure Vidana has something to add there, yes. too. I see. In your experience, what would you say 
is the differentiator for people who really embrace their intuition and build that self-trust as opposed to the people that you work with who really struggle with that. I would probably say that some of the biggest factors are people that are successful at developing and maintaining a sense of self-trust are ones that allow themselves to be human, that they don't create the necessity to live up to a particular ideal or a particular perfection that a lot of people associate or have kind of been conditioned by that is created from outside influences. And it's giving themselves the dignity to be imperfect rather than the constant criticism and judgment of failing to be perfect or live up to a particular ideal. Tune in to Two Owls Having a Hoot for stimulating conversations steeped in boundless curiosity and divine wonder. Airs the first Thursday of the month at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and 8 p.m. Atlantic Standard Time. Enjoy the show! I found for myself with self-trust, and maybe Madonna can relate to this too, I had to learn to laugh at myself. I had to lighten up. I had to accept that I would probably go two steps into trusting myself and then fall flat on my face, which of course is exactly what happened many times. (laughs) But there was something inside of me, something deep inside of me, that encouraged me to go on. And I can only think that that was the little baby steps I was taking. So I would trust myself, listen to that inner voice, and then I would have a little success. Success would be that little feeling of fulfillment or that little sensation that I'm in alignment. And then I would try again. And maybe I try three more times. Two would be successful. One would be falling on the face. But I was always intrigued with that when I fell on my face. As I said, there was that little something, that little voice inside of me that picked me up and propelled me forward. Well, yes, because, and it makes me think of a couple of other maybe words that I would give to this process is permission. So it's when people give themselves permission to fail, permission to make a mistake, permission to try, rather than to create all of the reasons why they shouldn't, and then they don't actually even try, because they don't even give themselves permission to make the effort, because they're so afraid of failing, or like you said, falling on your face, or that kind of thing. The other word or phrase that I would say is very important, and you really illustrated this too, Mildred, with what you were saying, is really embodying the belief that enough is enough. So instead of saying, I have failed because I was going to do three things and only did two, it's saying, you know, but I did two. And so therefore, I accept that that is enough or that was what I was able to accomplish. And therefore, I don't give up on myself because of the one thing that I feel like I didn't do. But instead, I use the two things I successfully did to reinforce my awareness that I actually am capable of. And maybe I just need to readjust the expectations that I'm putting on myself. So instead of thinking, I can do these three things and I only was able to do two, then when I start next time, I'm going to say, you know, I'm only going to give myself two things to do. 
I'll accomplish those and then I'll go on to the next two things. Because really what that has done is it said instead of I tried to do three things and I failed at one and only accomplished two, if I say, well, then I'm only going to set up doing two things, do that successfully, which means I can set up doing two more things, I'll now have accomplished four things instead of the three that I had initially set myself up to do by breaking it up into smaller parts. So those would be two other things that I think are very key to developing a sense of self-trust is permission that we give ourselves rather than needing it from outside of ourselves and the ability to say enough is enough. I can be satisfied with what I was able to accomplish and acknowledge that rather than simply focusing on there should have been more. I should have done something else. There should have been some other way that I could have been able to accomplish this. And then we just focus on the lack or the failure rather than what it is that was actually accomplished. Yeah. So, hi, C. Would you say that a spiritual point of view or spiritual aspect is important to this process? Or does it matter? Well, I think it's important. And I think it's also important that people allow themselves to define that in whatever way that means to them. What is spiritual, quote unquote, for one person may be very different from what connects to or refreshes and enhances the spirit of another person. So again, it's not about comparing or thinking that there is some sort of definition that we're supposed to live up to versus allowing ourselves to find what feeds our spirit, what nourishes our soul to be what is spiritual for us. And for me, the, the spiritual component, like with rituals and things, because I often will recommend things like working with herbs or working with crystals or even with candles and that kind of thing, but it's always working with things from the natural world. What that really is doing is keeping us connected to what's right around us rather than neglecting what it is that is around us and not seeing that everything around us has a certain energy, a certain spirit to it that we can actually connect with and work with in order to support what it is we're trying to do or who we're trying to become. So hopefully that answers what you're asking about the spiritual side of things. Yes, it's just for me, for me personally, that part of trusting myself has really depended on my spiritual beliefs, which are not that traditional belief system that I that I necessarily grew up with. but And we found a great line for our original show on trust, and it was, take your hands off the steering wheel. So that aspect of allowing that intuition, allowing spirit to help guide you into that place where you really do trust what you're seeing, what is being offered to you. And I think that the spiritual aspect really brings us back to recognizing that we put too much emphasis or faith in the material world, like taking our hands off of the wheel says, I'm going to let go of the need for something material or tangible to be there to rely on or think that that's what it is all about. And instead, it brings us back to something that's a little more ephemeral, but also brings us back to ourselves because it says I stop reaching out for something outside of myself, meaning the material or the external world, that steering wheel, and instead 
I let go and I bring my hands back to me, which means I come back to myself, which is really the ultimate essence of any kind of spiritual work, is coming back to that ultimate core essence of ourselves so that we can operate from there. That's what we ultimately trust and that we know that the external is simply there to be in service to our spiritual selves rather than being what defines or what is needed in order for us to somehow be able to do or become or whatever that our spirit lacks. I love that. Beautiful. So hi, C and Madonna. If we were going to offer, based on our own life experience, one suggestion or tip or exploration to our listeners, to those who might be able to take the next step for self-trust, what might it be? Just a little tidy tip. For me, it's keep your promises to yourself. I find that when we break our promises to ourselves, we really impact our ability to build and maintain self-trust. I like that. What about you, Heisey? Find something that you can do on a regular basis that is the catalyst or the trigger or helps you to come back to yourself. And whether that's a regular meditation practice, whether that's carrying a stone around in your pocket so every time you touch it, it reminds you, oh, I should listen to what my intuition is saying. Or an oil, a scent of something that you put on first thing in the morning that always reminds you of this is my scent, this is what opens myself up to me. And then if you go about the day and suddenly you smell that scent somewhere else, it suddenly brings you back to remind you, oh, I need to pay attention here. An affirmation, a mantra, you know, something like that that you say on a regular basis that helps to reinforce hearing your own voice rather than the voice of others. So for me, it's all of those little things, finding something like that that you can use that is the way that pulls you right back into the center of yourself. And for me, I keep going back to the words that Cape Breton singer-songwriter Dolores Boudreaux shared with me years ago. And she was telling me in her life what made the difference was when her inner voice became louder than all the external voices. And I've carried that with me when my inner voice is louder and more robust and more solid than the external voices, I know that I'm on the right path. And that's my benchmark, my personal benchmark, that I measure myself against. And I don't know if measure is the right word, but I'm very aware of it's my mirror. So, that's our show for today. I would like to thank my co-hosts for their insights and also for their honesty. And as shared earlier, if you would like to listen to part one of the Self-Trust podcast, you can always go to Healing Conversations with Mildred Lynn. That's my website. And today's Two Else Having a Hoot podcasts, in case you're wondering, you're looking for other ways to listen to it, can always be found on iTunes or SoundCloud, Stitcher, and of course, in the Blog Talk Radio archives. If you want to pop over to my website and subscribe to our podcasts, you can receive a list of them every month. And you may even feel like passing the link along to others because at some point in our lives, we ourselves will be challenged in the area of self-trust or we will know someone close to us that will be challenged in that arena. 
So join us next month for Two Owls Having a Hoot, when Madonna and I will tackle the ins and the outs and the ups and the downs of dealing with curveballs, curveballs that life throws each and every one of us. So thank you, Madonna, and thank you very much, High C. Enjoy the day. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please join us next time for Evolve with Robin White Turtle Lisney, Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m.